Well, hello there, terrible warriors. Welcome back to another session zero. We haven't done one of these in a little while. We got caught up in all my interviews and meeting people and chatting with them about their games and their things and their podcasts. It's been great, but I did miss creating characters and talking about these games. And judging by the reactions and the download numbers, so did you. So I'm glad that we're back at this. As promised, we are looking into the realm of Simbaroom, uh, another dark fantasy setting from the people at Free League Games. If you'd like to know more about Simbaroom, before we get into it, I interviewed the creator of Simbaroom, or the co-creator of Simbaroom, Matthias johnson Haka, a few weeks ago. Go back, listen to that episode, because we really break down the history of this game, the setup, the plot, what to expect with it. It's awesome. Uh, and and I don't want to go over that again because I want to get to our characters and, and, and talk around our table. So I highly recommend you go back, listen to that episode, and then come back and join us here. So here we are. Simbaroom. Or Sim... It was, it, was, it was explained to me, it's kind of like Mordor. That like rolling of the R at the back of your mouth uh, is, is the R in Simbaroom. And so <clears throat> this is what I'm trying to pull it off. Obviously, this game was made from our friends up in Sweden. And it was for years only available in Swedish and then translated to English and it just continued to grow in popularity. It's a a very interesting setting and game. Uh, After looking at it, after talking to Matthias and then coming to the game, it's true. The mechanics, I feel, don't get in the way, but the world, the lore... Oh, it was, I was underestimating what this world was going to be like. And I'm really looking forward to talking about it around my table because, of course, it's a session zero. So I am not alone. I am joined by friends uh, returning from afar and, uh, and, and familiar voices. Of course, welcome back, Velvet Duke. It's good to have you. Thank you. It's good to be here. I am equally excited to get into this one. Yeah, it's been like a month since we did Nibiru, or more than that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. how how how, are you, how have you been doing the last uh, few weeks? Have you been deprived of of joining me on this podcast? Uh, it it has been very difficult. I I've been creating my own sound loops just to pretend that I'm talking to anyone. Got a little uh, soundboard, Justin's <laughs> phrases. Right. <laughs> well, hello there. Uh, I am not alone. Be good to each other. And you just keep pressing mm-hmm. them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, especially now that the be good to each other is very, very relevant. I know, right? And returning, uh, you last heard him on our Spire campaign as our Vermissian sage, causing nothing but mayhem and chaos in his wake. It's really good to have you back, Sean Horvichuk. Hello. Hello, it is so good to be back. I have missed this so much. Oh, yeah. Well, now that I know just how much you've missed it, uh, I'm going to bug you every single week and uh, and you're not going to go anywhere. I think you're going to be joining us too in April for uh, our first attempt at an actual play recording in over a year. And I'm really nervous about that. And I don't want to get more details because I'm afraid of cursing it. It's never going to happen. But I'm, uh, What could it, possibly go wrong? What could, everything. Look, it took us... 20 minutes just to get connected for a three-person roundtable one-hour episode because the friggin' virtual <laughs> thing wouldn't connect all of our voices at the same time. But I digress. We are... I do, uh, <laughs> Justin, I, I do have to caution that the last time <laughs> the three of us were around the table... It was the end of the world. We ended the world. It, we ended the world <laughs> of Spire, so... We recorded our seventh episode of Spire... I want to say like three and a half weeks before every, it was the, like the very end of February. 
of 2020. So the world was already kind of shutting down, but it hadn't caught up to Canada just yet. And then like two and a half, three weeks later, everything stopped. <laughs> we stopped. It's just, it all came to, and uh, like, I, I had no idea your, uh, your character inspire our, our, uh, <laughs> the, the icon character that we had who, mm-hmm. who you, when you created that, uh, march onto the police station and then burnt it down to the ground just how prescient that would be for the events of the rest of 2020 that was jeez louise that was fun and and listening back to those episodes and how much we were resisting wearing masks and i had to put Mm -hmm. a disclaimer going like listen this was done. These are different kinds of masks in this game. These are about hiding identity and removing agency. And believe me, if there was an actual contagion in the Spire Tower, every drow would be wearing face coverings. It, yes. it, it's just a use of language. <laughs> anyway, we're not talking about Spire. We're talking about Simbroom. So session zero, we haven't done it in a while, so I'll remind you, is our little terrible warrior tabletop book club we're not playing actual plays this season uh although that might change in the next month we are instead giving an examination on the character creation process having a look at these games seeing if they're fun to play and how easy it is to make characters and how fun it is to make characters this was a phase in the game that we usually skipped on terrible warriors in favor of getting right to the good stuff and I feel like it's a bit of a disservice because sometimes the character creation phase is the good stuff. And in, and, and in some games, it, it can be the best part or the, the only part you end up doing, especially if you can't get a group together and you've got all these books on your shelf and you just go through them making characters. It can be kind of a relaxing <laughs> exercise to do on a weekend. And this is a, this is a game that I found to be very freeing in terms of making your characters uh and and that can be both daunting and uh, wonderful so we have each made our characters we haven't shared them with each other so there gets to be a bit of an excitement where we each get to meet them for the first time and uh, we're going to go one at a time and introduce you to the characters of our world of Simbaroom and then uh, we'll break it down and have a chat about what we liked about this game or what about this setting so before we introduce our characters let me tell you just that my TLDR of Simbaroom. And believe me, I've barely scratched the surface. The The starter kit is a wonderful place to start. I find the scope is nice and small, and that's where most of my knowledge is coming from. I have opened up the books and read through them enough to make my characters, but I mean, the, the core set, the player's guide, the advanced player's guide, and the game master's guide, it's a lot of reading to do, and there's a lot of stuff in there to remember, there is a lot of politics and characters and history and factions. So if you're a fan of Simbaroom, don't correct me on Twitter because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, I, I do love the setting and I'm looking forward to learning more about it. So here's what I understand. And Velvet, Sean, correct me as I go if you want to fill in the gaps because I'm sure we all picked up on little different things that uh, we each were interested in. So Simbaroom, the namesake of the place, is actually an, uh, an old kingdom that is long gone, and it's now ruins and covered by the forests of Davokir, uh, uh, I think it was. And Davokar? I, uh, Davokar. I should have had my map open while I was doing this. Come on. Um, yeah, so Davokar. And it is... Uh, kind of the focus point of a lot of the adventurers and where expeditions happen and where danger comes out of and darkness and corruption. And there's a lot of contested ideas about 
what Davakar is going to represent for the futures of all of these different groups of people. Uh, and the first ones are the Ambrians. Uh, the people of Ambria are human, and they... I don't know the exact details, but they basically wrecked everything and their kingdom is gone. They they played with powers they shouldn't have. They brought in darkness and blight and mystic arts and all this kinds of stuff. And there's been a bit of a religious reformation that has happened out of all of that. Uh, but the, the the short of it is their kingdom is destroyed after war or or destruction from magic, kind of a climate change theme to it as well. And they've had to abandon their empire and head into their ancestral home, according to their records, uh, where where Simbarum was from, which is now the Davakar Forest, and and the areas around it. And they have moved in, both as kind of refugees and colonizers and uh, settlers and invaders. And there's a lot of stuff going on here. We're going to learn no one's on the good side here. Everyone's right and everyone's wrong. And that's kind of the the messiness of Simbarum that is really appealing, depending on where you go. So when they arrive in this area, there's already 13 barbarian tribes in there, and they've been there the whole time. It's possible that they are actually descended from the same source humans that the Ambrians are from, but again, we're talking millennia. They're now a completely different culture. And the the first barbarian tribe bends the knee to the Ambrians, and the second barbarian tribe they introduce is just destroyed and wiped out by the Ambrians. So only 11 are left, and there's a rumor of a 12th like beast clan that lives dark in the deepest sources of the Davakor forest. The barbarians live right in the edges of the Davakor forest, in like this a few miles from the forest line, in what's kind of known as Bright Davakar. This is a place where they, as long as they follow the taboos of the witches and their traditions, they believe that they'll be safe in this part of the forest. But you don't venture in too deep and uh, and you don't bother going out of the forest because the Ambrians have kind of taken over all of that. So we've got these like demarcated areas. So barbarians and Ambrians are now living in a, not in a state of war, but in this uneasy standoff where things are going to fall apart soon. Uh, and then within that, you've got all these other factions. And these factions are fighting amongst themselves as well as against these others. You've got, you've got the church that worships the sun, uh, the, the thergy, the, 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 the thergy, Pariahs or things like that. You've got you've got mystics and you've got the uh, uh, like a magic order uh, that uh, are are all about studying magic and doing like treating magic like science. Think to Dragon Age, the way magic is kind of seen as like this scientific study, and and that can be seen as heretical by the church. And so they. They do a lot of expeditions and explorations trying to learn the histories of Simbarum and learn like the secrets of the mystic arts and all that. And then you've got uh, the witches and the barbarians who do their own kind of like older natural magic. And uh, and then you have sorcerers and untrained who uh, their magic is just kind of coming out from within them or they've stolen the magic and no one's no one's passed on that tradition. And everyone who's using magic um, is is taking on a bit of corruption whenever you use magic. And this corruption plays out in the form of your shadow. It's like an aura that other magic users can have abilities to to detect and see. And so this has created you know witch hunters and rangers and bounty hunters that try to stop people from corrupting magic. Because if your corruption gets too far, you turn into a blight and and you just turn into an abomination and a, a full-on monster. And in the game, you become a non-player character. When that happens, there is no coming back once you go over that threshold. There's a number of 
stopping points along that way in terms of stigmas that we'll take on. We'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, but that's kind of a fun thing that happens here is people who use magic have the potential to basically turn into demonic, horrible abominations. Then there's also elves, and the elves live in the Davakor forest, and they they play a little bit like the way the elves are in the Witcher series, in that you don't really see a lot of their society or their cities. Uh, you just see them when an arrow goes through your neck, and then they're gone. Uh, they have what they believe is the Iron Pact. Thousands and thousands of years ago, they made a deal with the humans who left Simbarum that they would take stewardship of the Davakor forest, and humans would never step foot in the forest again. And it was sealed with uh, like a thousand iron rings or something like that. And now that humans are back and they're going to the forest, the elves are like, excuse me, we still have a deal here, and we have not given up these lands. And it's a kill on sight, or depending on the elf, they play planks on you, and they... <laughs> They, they're they're like tricksters if you meet the spring elves and they're assassins if you meet the summer elves. And they're out keeping an eye on the forest. And uh, are they preventing the humans from getting in or are they stopping the evil in the forest from getting out? Because something happened all those years ago when the darkness was like unhooked. Is the forest itself like a big cork holding the, the 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 darkness and the corruption at bay uh and and the elves are the only thing kind of holding that seal in place or or is something else going on now uh, these are mysteries that the game sets up at the beginning that are not revealed <laughs> in the books that i have but matthias in our interview does say that those answers do get resolved further on if you buy the expansion books and work your way through the adventures so maybe i'm going to end up doing that one day uh, so there's, so it gives you an idea of what's going on here. This is a bit of, as he said, Princess Mononoke meets Game of Thrones. There's some nature stories and stories of corruption and and darkness with lots of powerful factions and families. Because even with us within the Ambrian people, there's the queen who's in charge of everything, and then she has the ability to assign princes, and then they have duchies and dukes, and then that works all the way down to mayors, and and they. They're all part of these, like, you know, infighting power squabbles to get more control over the areas. And, and, and then the barbarians have their own politics and their chieftains and their histories and traditions. And it, it's really intriguing. Now, to make things simple, and I know I've been talking for a while because I'm doing a whole lot of setup because I want these characters to be, make sense when we talk to them, is the starter kit takes that huge scope and it just focuses on the edge of the Davakor forest. And a place called Thistlehold, a, a human Ambrian town, some barbarian areas. But you are playing as in the starter kit, people who have taken on an expeditionary role. You have an explorer's pass. You've paid for your license. And you are going into the forest, either to find ruins or treasure or hunting uh, like a, a wanted witch or, or wizard who, who is using powers uh, and bringing in corruption um, against the recommendations of the of the bodies in power and uh either way you you're 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 a professional who is taking jobs that take you into the force so the starter kit is all about that part of the game and while the core book goes way around the whole uh kingdom again this is not a game that deals with an entire world really just like a a, a country like part just a a, a quarter of a continent uh, and so it, it feels very contained and we're all kind of stuck in this valley together uh 
the starter kit focuses just on the borderlands of that forest. So for most of our narrative that we're going to talk about today, while we're taking the rules from the core book to create our characters, the story, at least the lore that I'm aware of, is what I've read in depth more from the starter kit. And uh, and and you can play the entire game with the starter kit. There are pre-generated characters to pick up from. And if you want to actually make your own characters, that's where you got to pick up the core book and go go with that. So how was that? Was that concise enough? That that felt like a lot. Was that a lot? That was, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was, but there is a lot. There I mean, is that a lot. is the whole thing in this whole this whole book series. Like these are novels that yeah. that you're going through, and you know you're you're getting more and more entrenched in it and becoming believers of it. So I think that as concise as the starter rule book is compared to the core rule book. Your introduction was even more concise. When we're going to get into it, like the writing is so good. And I know this was originally written in Swedish. So the localization like hands off to the translators. But Matthias's story and the lore that he has written into this world is it is such a labor because it sounds like he has spent like the better part of the last decade or more working on this story and developing it and continuing to write it to this day. And then the artwork, we'll, we'll get into it after we talk about our characters, but this is, I mean, I know it didn't start as a free league game, but it's a quintessential free league game in terms of the quality of the art and the writing and the presentation. This is, this is a beautiful game to have. I was just going to say, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen this much depth in a single location in an RPG setting before. It's fun. It just keeps going. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Witcher 3. With with it just being in Velen and and like this war torn area, except it's so much more. There's so it's so dense. There's so like I love Forbidden Lands, but Forbidden Lands feels like an empty va- vacuum of an area compared to just how much is going on in here. This feels kind of like Crusader Kings, which is interesting because even though it's a video game, a Freely Games also makes the Crusader Kings board game. So I can kind of see how I, they like Crusader Kings because you could absolutely do like a Crusader Kings mod set in Simbaroom if you really want to get it. Like it, it, it's that kind of in-depth conversations on politics and duchies and rules of secession and all that. Like it all plays into these factions. And I see other games that, that get into it. And like, you know, this, it's so, it's so fully realized and they, they, he's, there's so much detail. No matter where you look on the map, if you want to zoom in, there's a lot of stuff to read about in that one place. And it's uh it's really cool. It's really cool. This is this is not a setting where if you're a GM who likes making your own worlds, that I would I wouldn't recommend this because the strength of this game is the lore that's been written around it. If you're gonna play Simbaroom, play Simbaroom in Simbaroom. Don't um, I mean, like fill in your own adventures and obviously make your own, you know, characters and, and mysteries, but like also fit it into the world that's been written. Because um, I feel like if you if you want to go off the beaten path, you're going to end up just playing a different game. You're going to miss out on some of this, some of the gems that are in here. Uh, but that's that's all for the second half. I want to talk about our characters. This is session zero, an examination of the character creation phase of tabletop RPGs. So we've made characters. I've made mine. I've done a lot of talking, so I'd like to take a back seat. And I'd like, who would like to introduce me to their character that they made? 
I want to hear Sean's character. I admit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go on, Sean. Fair enough. Yeah, All you're right. back. So front I of the row. Back. You know, okay. you, you come to Fight Club. First rules: you have to fight. <laughs> so, but I won't talk about Fight Club. All right. So. No, please, please talk. Like and subscribe. <laughs> leave will. a five star rating and review. <laughs> oh yes, you'll get a good Yelp review. So uh, I decided to go with something a little outside. I usually go for more elvish characters, but I thought the goblins in this were actually quite fascinating. Yes. They're so, so weird. I, they're so weird. So, And I, I like leaning into the weird, as we know. So I went with a sort of mystic style goblin uh, called Farsig Unkthist. Farsig Unkthist. <laughs> okay. So uh, I can get into how I came up with the name later. But um, so I, I decided to go with he's sort of a, a mystic seer type character. Uh, one of the things cool. I like about the character sheet that they give you, the PDF for um, the Symbarum, is that they actually have a quote section. So you can sort of sum up your character with a quote from in their voice. Which yeah, I like really a slug liked. line. Yeah. So um, so I put for mine. Yes, yes. Very nasty. Bad, bad. Your aura is. No, not your fault. I can help. Yes. Um, <laughs> I love goblins. Every game I play as a GM, I want to have goblin characters because they're just so fun to talk with. Because they're, they're, they're so all, fun. They're all like speech is hilarious. They, they, they're kind of like that character on Jabba's barge, just like. <laughs> but but uh, delicious crumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're kind of like that, but 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 bigger and schemier. You know, kind of playing like Ferengis from Star Trek, mm-hmm. and they're just like, yes, yes, yes. I, I, I just recently was running a game of Dungeons and Dragons. I know, tangent, sorry. Of uh, playing a character, he only speaks in like business buzzwords, like customer first excellence, <laughs> service guaranteed, you know, one day delivery, or your money back. And he doesn't because he doesn't. He speaks common, but he only speaks the common phrases that he picked up from merchants. And oh, that's so good. So it's it's just what he it's just whatever common he learned running around markets and other than that he speaks like goblin <laughs> and but when he wants to speak <laughs> to someone in common he only knows like uh, uh coupon <laughs> which, like, which could quid, be relevant quid pro quo that's phenomenal so yeah w- part of what attracted me to, to goblins in this setting was that they're di- slightly different from other goblin mm-hmm. settings in that they're not the bad guys inherently um so my character uh, is actually from i think it's called where is it i have it open here karabadoc is Carabadoc. the name of the goblins karabadoc uh so there's a little karabadoc <laughs> so in the uh, in the lore there's actually a little bit of tension going on with the goblins because they're actually the servant class in thistlehold yeah they were invited there by the the landholder and there's a bit of tension over that so my character his motivation for adventuring is actually to sort of prove that goblins can be more than just servants that there's more to them yeah and what's really interesting with goblins is one of their class traits uh, of that race is that they're short-lived goblins uh, mature very quickly once they're born and they're considered basically young adults at the age of five and they only live to 20 and so they have a very short time to prove themselves uh, from from the get-go and it's written that a lot of the goblins in Simbarum are the kinds of, like they, they they come in and they do the cleanup 
and they, you know, uh, they'll, they'll do all like the little menial tasks or agriculture work or washing the dishes and they move into the towns. They do all that crap that the humans don't want to do. And then as soon as the work is done or the sun comes up in the morning, they all leave for, for their tents and, 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 and areas that kind of living around the edges of the city. So they're, they're very much seen, yeah, not just as, as a servant class, but also as kind of like it's a caste system of they're just lower than, um, and, and, and it sucks. But recently there's also been a movement to um, bring in goblins into uh, covenants, into convents, into churches and like train them and like save their souls. Uh, and some are teaching them magic and some are becoming, you know, adventurers for hire uh, and, uh, and, 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 and getting out there. And, and it's, it's interesting that they're, they're at a point now where they're, they're trying to break free of a lot of those presumptions of what a goblin a goblin's worth is in this Ambrian society. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting that they're not seen as a monster class uh, the way um, some of the actual monsters that are in the, the, the Davacor forest are who are just mindless. The goblins have a mind. Some of them have proven to be very sharp and, and, and intelligent and, and, and quick to pick up. But, but because they only they have such a short lifespan it, it it gives them this inherent disadvantage where they're just not going to have the advantage of like a mystic who has spent 40 years or more studying a single topic goblin doesn't have time for that they got they got yeah. 15 years from the moment they're old enough to have their entire life experience and 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 that's one of the reasons why they end up taking so many service jobs because you can it's an untrained work right so it's 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 an interesting setup of of telling a story within that within that framework. Yeah, exactly. I, so I'm, I'm I was very excited to try that out uh, within within that sort of framework and explore a character that's sort of from a, a lesser than or more put upon class. Um, they like they have a racial trait of pariah where you actually have to roll twice and take the the worst result when interacting with most people mm-hmm. because they're because of that caste system, which would be very interesting to roleplay. Yeah, most most humans, depending on where they're from in in an Ambrian city, would probably pretend like the goblin wasn't even there as they're moving through the rooms, right? Like if they were, if if you're a richer family and you've got a a, a, a house or an estate and you've got goblins that like clean the place up, they might come through the room cleaning out, I don't know, the water bowls or whatever that are in there, and they would just act like they're not in the room, right? They're just invisible. And they're sort of the unseen, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and it's, which, again, if you want to play a character that's rogue <laughs> or, 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 you know, like, like, I could see goblins playing a very strong role in like an information network if you wanted to have <laughs> stuff on, on the more privileged families in, in, the, in these cities because the goblins would see all. They, they, at the same time, they, they kind of have access to everything. Like they're the janitor with the keys to all the doors and, uh, no one would suspect the goblins because they're pariahs. They're also underestimated, which very much so, which in a way, depending on your character choices, 
can be an advantage in your story. And actually, I sort of took that to its extreme with my character as, in terms of see, being able to see stuff because I took it actually as he is a seer. So I took powers like witch sight, sixth sense. Yeah. Uh, How did he learn? To see the true form of stuff. Where, where, where did he learn those abilities? Oh, he's self-taught. So he's, he's, did he he's steal these from, from someone he was working <laughs> for? Did he like, was he cleaning out someone's bed chambers and then came across a codex? Uh, for some of it, I think some of it was sort of innate and he started to realize that he had these powers and then tried to find ways to improve them, whether illicitly or not. <laughs> nice, nice, because uh, that, that actually works. I, I can actually see how my character and your character would get into working with each other. You're going to find out in a minute. Ooh, I'm excited. Farsig Unkthist. <laughs> that name is awesome. And you told, you said you wanted, this isn't just a set of sounds you put together. You, you, you no. have. So literally what I, what I wrote out, I wrote out Farsight under Thistle because he's a seer and he's from, oh. he's a sort of the underclass of Thistle, uh, the, the mm. city. And then I goblinized it basically to try and make it less intelligible until I found something I liked. That's brilliant i just came up i just kept working through names that made me shit sound like um i'd be the heir apparent to a big corporation (laughs) gives you an idea of where i think i'm going for this is why i keep talking about families of high society (laughs) right because i've I've been thinking a lot about that the duchies i've been playing a lot of crusader kings what can i say and and i was like oh i just have to make i i'll 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 I'll, I'll introduce i'll introduce my i'm also making a character who is i am playing to lose this is a character that is on a downward spiral and he's going to bring people with him. Um, oh so <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll explain that in a bit. Velvet, we've met Farsig Unkthist. Who are we going to meet through you? As I was going through the uh, the starter book, I did see the goblins. And as I read it, I thought, oh, I am not willing to play a lesser than. There's enough of that in the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I was very concerned about that. But I, I absolutely can see the fun of it. I just, for me, it was, uh, it, that wasn't a kind of play that I wanted to to try and deep dive into. And then I saw the ogres and I went, hey, here's another normally monster class that you get to play. Like if you, if you want to go there, you can definitely go there. For me, the benefit of having a goblin and having an ogre class are if you are new to role playing and and you want to be a little bit more of a follower, like you want to be part of the action, but you don't want to always have to be the one coming up with the smart (laughs) responses. Because they're outsiders. They're not expected to know the rules yeah. or the history or right. the setup or the lore, especially the ogres. The ogres are interesting. They apparently mm. come out of the forest fully adult and no one knows where ogres come from yeah, <laughs> or how they multiply or what, where they, what happens. They just, they just Including show up every now and then fully yeah. <laughs> ogre. And unlike the goblins who are short lived, the ogres are long lived. They can live for centuries, but when they come out of the forest, the first time they're encountered, they don't, know anything they don't know where they are they don't know who they are they don't know what they are and so usually whoever finds a new ogre gets to conscript them be like great well you're my bag boy now or you're gonna work for this this barracks and you're gonna help load the the trebuchets or you're going to be part of this goblin team and you're gonna help protect the goblins and you're gonna be like our bodyguard for Mm -hmm. generations because if you got if you're a little goblin family and you have an ogre that like your grandfather found 80 years ago or I guess great 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 grandfather found eighty years ago. I mean, this ogre could protect your family for multiple generations of goblins, and um, uh, so yeah. And and some of them have grown to become scholars and have been taught 
mystic arts and have been uh, brought in to different because some some um, wizards and some priests they take like an academic curiosity to both goblins and ogres to be like you know ogres live for 300 years so what kind of rituals could we teach them in a way that a human wouldn't have enough time to study that even even though an ogre might um is perceived by others to not learn as fast as mm-hmm. as uh, as as humans and and goblins might um but yeah they they have a where the goblins have the short-lived trait the ogres start with the long-lived trait so they can be more patient because they got time yeah. on their hands yeah and so so they don't they don't according to the book um, at least the humans perceive the ogres don't mind being those laborers because yeah they, right. they, they could spend a hundred years helping to build a wall it's it's satisfying work and even when it's done they still have a thir- you know two quarters of their life <laughs> still <laughs> to right. go um after after they've so, done that, so I like I like that they existed. I thought that that that's great. And then I saw that there were elves mentioned, and I typically avoid the elves unless you're a Vulcan in Star Trek. Yeah. I avoid elves as a race. But I thought, you know what? I want to stretch myself, and uh, and so I saw that there was Changeling as a, mm-hmm. as one of the choices. So that's where I went. I thought I am going to be one of these elven creatures who also have the long-lived trait as just as a, a given race trait, uh, and then shapeshifter if you choose. And I thought, okay, well, I know what it is that I, I you know, I, I start with a premise. So I know that I want to I want to be somebody who is in this human uh, goblin ogre world that I, I live there, but I have some other purpose. I'm an outsider, but I can blend in. And so then I went, oh, okay, uh, I'm going to write the character goal. So here is the backstory slash goal. My mother was one of Davacor's wardens of the Iron Pact, sent out from the Great Forest to prune the worst of its enemy, those whose mystical and physical desecrations soured the soils and grayed the skies. She raised me with a stern love, training me in the dual duty of protecting myself and who I am as an elf, and restoring our once home. Now she's dead a year, and my abilities aren't yet mine to control, leaving most people in Thistlehold scared of me, and me of myself. So I took that and oh, my character's name is Gerundin. You remind me of Thrawn from Star Wars a little bit, mm. right? A, mm. a, a character like Thrawn is a Chiss who is sent from or leaves his homeworld to integrate himself into a powerful structure. When he gets out, he, he encounters the Empire. So he integrates himself into the Empire and works his way up the ranks to becoming Grand Admiral of the seventh fleet and, you know, second to the emperor, you know, kind of on equal level in terms of military responsibility to Vader and Mm. is himself not human and is the only non-human admiral in the empire or even officer, I believe in the empire. And, uh, but is, is throughout it all, he's not loyal to the empire. He's Mm. there on a, on a, on a mission of reconnaissance of intelligence, of uh, ultimately making sure that whatever happens here doesn't 
collapse the galaxy, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and what you're describing with this character, it seems like a similar mission in a way. It's you're still of Davacor, but you've left it to you know keep an eye on what are the big threats. What yeah. are what what where where are the weeds that are growing in the wrong direction, and where do they need to be pulled out from the root before they take hold? And uh, well, that bit. was my mother's. That was yeah, my mother's, that was your mission. mother's mission. Yeah. Like, and and you know, of course, and, and I went well. Okay, let's make it personal, and let's make it that it basically gets passed down. So I have been raised to replace her at some point. So yeah. now it's mine. But so are you going to shake it? off the ghost and and find your own? Um, your own goal or are you going to embrace this, this, this family business (laughs) as it were? So, so when I looked at the abilities, uh, I chose the mystic path as well. And, uh, and I chose (laughs) self-taught mystic for this. I, I took it that I have these innate powers. However, they're not, they're not controllable yet. So, so, I, I mean, obviously, I would have to work it out with the DM, but my thought was things like unnoticeable, which is basically disappearing if people aren't paying attention to mm-hmm. you, and nature's a brace where you literally sink into the ground to to hide. He doesn't have the ability to control that for himself. So he there's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder for not standing out when he wants to stand out or stand up for himself, that he's literally invisible and and you know can't get himself back to you know to being seen. So this is a similar thing and this is self-taught. You're not learning it through any existing tradition. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there is something in me. So there's obviously something in me. And then I thought to that, you know, I mean, this is an adventure thing. So at some point I should probably have some combat oriented thing. Uh, so I, I added in that while I'm in that controlled state, that's the only thing that powers me up at this point to be able to use the revenant strike. Mm. So it's, you know, this, this kind of corrupting power that you have access to, uh, you know, to do damage and, and eventually <laughs> create undead uh, once you get uh, control of it. So, so I tried to go with the idea, like he has the witch site. Um, it has, uh, a, he does have a ritual for nature's lullaby. To be able to be in part of Davacor without disturbing the abomination that are there. Um, and as a result of these, these uncontrollable powers that he has, his shadow is, it, it was ruby red, but there's this obsidian streak running through it. Ooh. Ooh. I just love that. I, I mean, I. The, so the we'll explain a little bit here. The shadow yeah. is yeah. in 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 the world of Simbarum. There's this corruption that's happening. Whenever anyone uses mystical powers, regardless of their tradition, there's always a risk of corruption, and it's a it's a it's a number that you're tracking on your character sheet. If your corruption reaches half of your resolute stat rounded up, you take on a stigma, a physical thing that people can see if they get close to you to see that you are like you're rotting now it think like uh princess mononoke the main character who leaves his town after being attacked by the boar he gets this scar on his arm that's kind of like black and boiling and bubbling and growing that would be a stigma 
in Simbarum. And he can wrap it up and he can hide it. But if you get close, you're eventually going to see the blackness coming down his veins and, and it's slowly poisoning him. If your corruption ever equals your resolute stat, you become an abomination, a blight. You become an NPC and there's no going back. So there are rituals to help purge the corruption or cleanse the corruption before you get that far. But if you go over, there's a point of no return. And so throughout the story, if, especially if you're playing with mystic arts, especially if you're self-taught, every time you use a spell or a ritual, you have to roll a d4 and add temporary corruption to your stat and, and potentially bring on stigmas. And if you are learning rituals without a mentor or a tradition to help do it in a a safe way, you will always take permanent corruption um, for every new ritual or mystic power that you you learn. Um, if you don't have a, a, a mentor or, or a master who can um, help guide it in a way that can avoid that corruption from happening. And at every single tradition in Simbarum, whether it be through uh, the religious church or the wizards or or the uh, the sorcerers or the witches, they all have a different idea of what corruption is and how it can be handled the wizards have spells that allow them to take the corruption from their own body and put them into crystals right and put them on a shelf and if those crystals ever break all that corruption comes rushing back into their body with terrible effects but they see corruption as kind of a rot on a fruit that you can cut away whereas the church would see corruption as well, you're just not good enough at your spells. You are you you've sinned. You're not worthy, and so you need to you need to be able. If you're if you're doing mystical work in a way that's bringing on corruption, then you're not doing it properly. And so for them, corruption is avoided at all costs. Uh, for the witches in the in the woods, the the elves or the barbarians, they see corruption as a natural product of nature, a way of nature fighting back and defending itself from human exploiting this resource. This this like part of reality that we're not supposed to toy with so if you use magic you need to do it in such a respectful way honoring where it's coming from these ancient understandings of 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 uh, of spells so that the corruption isn't is, is redirected either to your target or 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 absorbed back into nature and never taken on yourself and and, and if you're self-taught you don't have any defense against corruption. It just hits you. And the game warns you, like, hey, if you want to go self-taught, like apparently all three of us are doing, um, <laughs> you are playing characters that are going to, somewhere down your story arc, you're going to have to confront the corruption. You cannot avoid it. It will just continue to fill up your sponge until it either destroys your character or, you know, so that becomes part of your story. So you're indicating to the yeah. GM, this is going to be a main story point at some point where it's going to have to come to um, either a resolution or, or the end of your character. And uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. All three of us tapped into in, in very different ways we've yeah. all decided to become self-taught. And uh, so, so the other side of that is the shadow shadow is something part of character creation that you get to decide, but it's, it's an aura uh, or an indicator that, some other mystical users uh, can use powers. There's witch sight, clairvoyance. There's something called holy smoke that allows you to see or indicate the state of someone's shadow. And the game says, like, 
characters that come from more natural backgrounds or histories, their shadows will be red and green and brown. And some civilized society characters that come from cities and and more artificial environments, they'll have more metallic colors, silver, bronze, gold. And as they take on corruption, right, an abomination character or a blighted character, their shadow is black, just pitch black. So as your character gets corrupted over time your shadow is going to change so the silver shadow might become chipped the 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 green is going to become more mossy and more brown and rot and dry and die and and the colors are going to change in the way they're perceived everyone has two shadows right they have a bright shadow and a dark shadow and what you're trying to do is not let your dark shadow become the dominant form because that's when your character becomes an abomination so some characters are able to perceive the state of your shadow so you might be able to hide to a layperson, your state of corruption. But if you come face to face with a witch hunter or a priest or another witch, they have passive abilities that just, they can see more than others can. And they can just see your shadow and go, oh, honey, you're, <laughs> you're not doing well, are you? Yeah. You're hiding it from everyone else, but I can see how black your shadow almost is. Like you are, you are becoming a shadow now, a shade, and you're going to, you're going to turn into some kind of an abomination in like a fortnight if we don't do something about this. So, and my thought, my thought with my shadow, but with with having a little bit of that, it comes down to like from a narrative point of view is, am I getting this corruption because I'm not following my mother's path? Or am I getting it because I'm trying, you know, for other reasons, you know, am I becoming the enemy that my mother was warned? Like, really, was it, was she really training me or was she trying to isolate me? You know what I mean? Am I the corruption that Davacor needs to be protected from? Are you, do you need to prune (laughs) yourself? Right. So, so I like that idea of the, you know, and, and not to think about, not to make it set in stone, but to have that option and to, and to play with that and play with the danger of you that. You think some elves, if they saw someone in their, in their circle who was like prone to being corrupted or turning into an abomination, if they might not send them out, like they just sent you out to go live in the human world, almost like a trap. Right. Like they're going to go out there. They're going to spend, you know, 20, 50, 60, 80 years. And one day they're going to turn into a monster and kill everyone in town. Yeah. And, and, and better them than us. And so they just (laughs) send these like, you know, oh, you're going to be a serial killer. All right, go over there. And, and they just let them go. And, and it's a less like pruning and more like grafting. They're taking like, like a, like a tree that already has an infection. And, and grafting it to another tree and letting that infection spread through that mm. settlement. And also like, with, bl- with, with elf morality, that just could be the worst or best prank ever. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> Depending on the, 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 the elf disposition, that could be seen as, um, a, you know, that's, that's fair game. That's a tactical advantage. That is a legitimate use in warfare. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, because it's a, it's a guerrilla, it's a guerrilla war for them, right? Like, they have the forest and they have the kind of when they're in close quarters, they have that on their side. But the, the game makes it very clear the Ambrians outnumber everyone on an open field with an army, right? And that's one reason why they've been able to just move in the way they have. The minute they're in the forest, though, and they're up against barbarians or elves one-on-one, 
in 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 in, a, in an environment that they don't have control over, they don't have knowledge, they can get lost in in a way that an elf wouldn't get lost in. Like that's where they get, and then it becomes a a war of attrition, and that's kind of where we're at now. It's everyone is losing, nobody is winning, and so everything's in a standoff right now to see what happens next. But the only thing that's happening is the corruption that is there is growing. More abominations are coming out of the forest and attacking people. More expeditions are going missing. Uh, and, and there's more of a, of a draw on all sides for resources, 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 because they're all stretched thin now up against each other. So tell us about yours, Justin. So mm-hmm. I'm playing a human, a human uh. Ambrian. And this human, I, I guess, is going to be probably from Yandaros. Uh, which is a, a much bigger city than Thistlehold. It's a, a, a seat of power for, for the Ambrians and where a lot of noble families come from. And Deramaya, or Deramay, uh, is a noble name. Uh, the, the, the M-E-I uh, in the, at the end of the name signifies that. Born to a, a higher class family. And uh, as a highborn, he has a chance of inheriting his father's duchy however the lines of secession are wrapped in in years of different family bonds and marriages and promises and titles and there is currently um it's not exactly known who will be declared heir of my father's house will it be me or will it be my father's brother my uncle who is much older than me and a decorated war vet who has won wars, you know, 20 years ago when the Ambrians moved in and is is seen as a hero and has all of this glory and accolades to it. And honestly, the public opinion has it that it would be much preferred if my uncle became the Duke and not me. So, like, on a grand scheme of things, none of this matters no one it's not going to change the history of 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 ambria like this is just a small duchy and a corner of yandaros like no one's going to give a crap but but it, it encapsulates every waking thought that deramea has and if i can find a place where i can have accolades and i can have glory and i can show that i can be the duke then when my father passes and he's ill right now uh, I could be named as his successor, which everyone in the family would prefer if it stay in the direct line of succession. But my uncle is right now kind of in the lead. He's the heir. <laughs> I'm the heir apparent, but the uncle would be the choice, the public, the 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 uh, the, the the popular choice to have. The other noble families would prefer that my uncle was in charge, not some you know, 20-something know-it-all. So that means I start with the privileged trait. We talked about the pariah trait. The privileged trait means I don't even have to roll in some social situations. I just get it. I also start the game with 50 coins more than every other player. I I have financial resources. So what am I going to do? I leave Yandaros. I leave the safety of the city and the safety of my home, the safety of my estate, and I head to Thistlehold to go on a great grand expedition. I am going to go into the forest of Davakar, and I am going to find my glory, and I am going to find a relic or a power or an answer or something that is going to prove that I am the duke 
that my family deserves to have. So I'm heading to Thistlehold with a cart full of gold. And basically, if you remember Shackleton's classified ads, looking for brave <laughs> men, survival not guaranteed, right? That's what I'm doing. So I'm probably hiring the two of you as part yeah. of my team to go into the forest. And I have such great high opinions about myself, my ideas, because I also have the tactician trait. I'm an adept at the tactician. I have in my possession the books of the histories of my uncle's victories on the battlefield, and I know military strategy, And because in, in Ambrian society, uh, military strategy and scholarly knowledge is seen as, as, as a very, as, as a boon. It's something that, that every, especially a noble like myself, is expected to know. So we're supposed to know all these histories and know these strategies. And so I'm, I am a tactician. I'm very good at at, at war games because <laughs> that's all I've ever done. I've never actually had hard lived experience. It's all just been theoretical. The thing is, I gave myself like five accuracy, seven strong, nine vigilant, <laughs> right? But when I use tactician, I can use cunning instead of quick. My cunning is 15, even though my quick is 10. When I use my feint ability, which is a novice ability, I can attack with discreet instead of strong and my discreet is 13 so even though i've got a bastard sword i also have a stiletto and that stiletto you can i can get under the armor and i have learned that i am not the strongest i am not the fastest but i am going to be the smartest and i will find the people to be part of my expedition team who will find me the glory so that i can make sure that my uncle is not the one who's in charge but i also have one point of corruption because right before I left, I decided not to go full-on dualist rogue. And I love the idea that there is no classes in Symbolum. You can really just make your own character. There's a number of archetypes that you can follow and fill in the blanks. But you can swap in and out whatever you want. Right before I left Yandros, I snuck into my court magician's study. We have a, we have a, we have a scholarly mage that was my tutor, my teacher. That's where I got most of my books from. But there were books I was not supposed to read, not without training, not without knowledge, not without oversight. And I stole one of them. I stole a codex. And I took that with me. It's going to help me on this expedition. I don't know what it's going to do yet. And it's got more stuff in there. But I've already learned one ability. And so I've already taken on one point of corruption. But I could spend time with this book, and I could take on more points of corruption. I can learn more. There's a, there's a really interesting ritual in there about forming a sanctuary wall. The one I took was Possess. I didn't know what I was picking at first. But when I used it the first time, I left my body and I inhabited the body of someone else in town. And I was walking around as them, no longer as a noble prince who's recognized everywhere he goes in Yanderos, but as a complete anonymous nobody. And it was addictive. And I don't do anything that would be seen as illegal. I don't, I don't, I don't cause him to, you know any non-consent. I just have them go to the market and buy some food and sometimes go to the baths and you know buy some food. Buy some food <laughs> and you know go to go to taverns and bars and dance and drink in ways that I as 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 a highborn would never have the ability to 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 do and to witness. And now arriving in Thistlehold, I have this power that I can use, you know, I put myself into a nice little safe place up in my room and I can, if as long as I have a piece of hair or blood or clothing or something from that person, I can take over them and walk around for as long as neither of us get disturbed. 
Uh, uh, the only thing I can't do is compel them to commit suicide. Everything else, their principles get thrown out the window. So how far am I going to push that envelope now? You know, where where am I going to go with? And that, that, I know that plays into themes of consent. So that's something where we would want to have safety tools at the table. We want to talk in advance about agency, about lines and veils and things like that. Like what as a table group would we be comfortable with? But this is an indication with this power, you know, that I could use this. And certainly it's something where, you know, I'm a coward. And if I'm going to go into the Davercore forest, my expedition doesn't want to go further in. I'm going to take over your body and walk in. Yeah. Deeper. Right. So that I don't it's have fun- to. It's funny you say coward because originally when I came up with the powers, that was it. It's that like the being unnoticeable and nature's embrace are all about hiding. Mm-hmm. And this, and it's not that I think I'm a coward, but the reality is that's why it's uncontrolled is I haven't, I haven't acknowledged how much fear uh, drives me. Yeah. So I, I, I started with a lot more money than everyone else. So I spent all of that. And so I have <laughs> chain mail that I could put on if I feel like I'm going to be up to it. But I also have very expensive woven silk that allows for me to be flexible, shows off my station. Obviously, when I go to Thistlehold, I want everyone to see, I mean, business. I am going to be their next Duke. I am going to be someone that people are going to look up to. So I have to, you know, dress the part that I want to have. And 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 I arrive in Thistlehold and I immediately put you know, a job board notice up on the notice board to hire an expedition group, get the licenses paid for and head off into the forest. And, and the best I've been able to get so far is a changeling and a goblin. <laughs> and I'm going to try and find some more and get my team together uh, to find glory for, for me. This is my glory that we're looking for. And you all work for me and I'm paying for you. So you're all going to help me out with this. And trust, when I am Duke, you will all be my officers and lieutenants and you, 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 you will take, you will drink plenty from my cup when that day mm. comes. Right. And so, so that's where Dara may has, and obviously like I, I mentioned playing to lose, this is a character who is, he's not going to get it what he wants. He's already made one compromise by becoming a ritualist. Uh, he's not doing magic powers. Rituals are different from mystic powers in that they require time. They can't just be fired off like a spell, but uh, every single time I, do a ritual i take on points of corruption i already have one permanent point of corruption and i only need six to pick on a stigma my resolute is only 11 so i don't have long to go (laughs) if i want to keep using these powers (laughs) and uh uh this is a you know i've got a big bastard sword that i can also use it's got the precise quality so i can use my tactician Ability cunning instead of quick, and I can use my faint ability uh, discreet instead of uh, uh, attack when I'm using precise weapons. But like this is a family sword. I don't really know how to use it. Um, I'm playing more as a, you know, that shitty prince who comes into town who's just going to order everyone around to their deaths, right? (laughs) Everything I'm proposing is a suicide mission. (laughs) And And so my shadow is definitely chipped silver. It's, it was silver of my birth, you know, the silver spoon in my mouth, but, uh, already having left the town going on this, on this fool's errand, having compromised already just enough to take on corruption. It's starting to show that the the silver is burnished. It's falling apart. It's going to continue to chip until there's nothing left. And if my character isn't saved, they will become an abomination in like four sessions. (laughs) It's. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so it's uh it what that does is it gives a lot of 
the other players at the table an opportunity to, you know, as I continue to do this, it gives that it gives it introduces some drama, it introduces some tension. And also, you know, as we meet characters, maybe some of them want to, you know, try and save me, right? And stop me from going down that way. Maybe teach me or steal the codex or destroy it so I can't learn any more rituals. So there's all Man, that. Man, I I totally I would enjoy playing this with you. Like I think that yeah. we're we're two sides of the same coin in some ways, and in other ways, like our plots are like, oh yeah, it's going to be. Am I? I going feel like to- Drundin knows what kind of fire I'm playing with. Yeah, and Daramea does not know. <laughs> like like for for him, it's power, it's glory, it's. Um, it's a higher station. It's proving to his dying father, I can be your heir apparent. You need to name me as your successor. You can't just let it go to the noble houses to basically vote on it. Like it can't go to that. And uh, so, so, so there's a panic in that I need to prove myself and I need to prove myself now. And my uncle has 50 years of experience ahead of me and he's got such an advantage because he had a war that he could go to. And he had he had he had that he had the battlefield that he could prove himself on, and and I don't. That's not happening right now. And I wish there was a war I could prove myself in, right? And <laughs> uh, and so 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 I'm 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 ignorant. I'm naive. I'm yeah. I'm I'm a fool. And but I'm a fool with a lot of money and a lot of power, which makes me a dangerous fool. And you're just the kind of character that backstory you were saying, like your mother wants you to find these danger points and prune them. But are you going to chip me off? Are you going to cut me free from the tree? Or are you just going to bend the branch so that I grow in the right direction? Yeah. Also, I'd say it'd be that would interact very hilariously with Farsig the goblin who can see how corrupt you are <laughs> and is, is a pretty wise old 11-year-old goblin um, who already has two corruption, permanent corruption himself. Yeah, but you've only got like to- 12 years left in your life. Right. Yeah, so, so it's, it's got like a, him. you know, exactly. Like it's one thing for a goblin, you know, to decide that they'd rather burn out. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but to look at a human doing that, it's why are you, why are you, you, you could you, live for so you long. You have 80 years, maybe a hundred years and you're going to, you're not, you're, 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 you're not even 23 and you're going to just throw it all away because your dad doesn't like you. Right, you're, you're you're longer lived than the next three generations of goblins. humans, and your stupid privilege. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And in a way, like as, even with your corruption, I, I do already see that you know Farsig Unkthist is so much wiser than Daramia. <laughs> <laughs> so like like you know what you're doing, you know what it's going to cost you, and you're willing to pay that price. But you, it's eyes wide open the whole way. Yeah. Whereas Daramea is just, their eyes are on the prize that even if he becomes Duke, like even if he wins, it's going to be like <laughs> Conqueror's Bad Fur Day. He's going to hate it. He's going to be sitting on that chair going like, it cost me everything and I don't even like this job. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that's, that's where I was, obviously like my character is, 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 is a reflection of like, I've been playing a lot of Crusader Kings and, yeah. and, and playing with that. But I, I loved this, uh, this idea of like, you know, this, this character, not, not enough noble 
characters i think show up in games like this like if you think like legolas from lord of the ring legolas is a prince right like he's mm. he's he's supposed to take over after thranduil you know uh, it bites it like he's 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 the next in line to to lead the Wood Elves, but also it's a time where the elves are fading, and he he's in a a political there's there, a very politically complicated place in his life in terms of who he's allowed to have relationships with, who he's expected to marry, who he's expected to work with and work for and represent, and for him to join up with a fellowship and team up with a dwarf, right? Like that's, there's all these political scandals that surround all those decisions. And there's not a lot of, um, examination on, on a character like Legolas in a Dungeons and Dragons kind of game, right? There's not a lot of characters. I feel like there's a lot more of the stories of the person who grew up on the outskirts, who is using being an adventurer because they don't have any other choice. and They're going to find riches through that very fewer stories I find come across in the other direction where you're a noble who is, you're having to leave the safety of your very privileged and powerful background because you need to do this or you're, or you're going to lose it all. And, uh, and so I, I kind of like the idea of playing like a, just a literal prince, at least in his own mind <laughs> of, of, of going into town and, uh, you know, throwing his cloak around, tossing money onto the table and being like, you work for me now. I just bought this place. Yes. <laughs> right. Like, no one in this hold is going to like him, <laughs> but but enough <laughs> people are going to take his money. Yeah. As a player, I think that you're you're doing it wisely. Like I I have seen that kind of stereotype of the I ha- I have all the protections because I have this rank and power and and you know name and you're you would be choosing to play it of the I know at the end of the day that's it like he's screwed himself I've given myself so many ways to to lose this or to you know yeah, the to first lose time the, he comes into touch the, with a ranger who's like you don't have your papers signed properly and he tries to be like don't you know who I am I'm the yeah. Son of Duke Daramea, Daramea the first, and like, mm-hmm. and and I start giving out. I don't care if you're the Queen of Ambria. If you don't have your licenses filled out, I have to bring you in, and you have to pay a fine, right? Yeah. But yeah. then when he meets the sheriff or this commander, it's someone in high society who might be a lord in Thistletown or mm-hmm. Thistlehold. That person. Now, finally, someone I can talk to who yes. can understand. And be like, Somebody understands. so sorry. I don't need your father's yes. attention coming down on this town. Just make sure you have your license. Like, like it can get all the way up there. I'm going to get pulled in by the beat cop. But once I meet the commissioner, yeah, right, I'm going to be let free. <laughs> At least Daramea is convinced of that, right? Like uh, yeah. playing the trust fund kid through this whole story. I feel I feel like this the three of us the trio I feel like we're all like to each other we're kind of both the city mouse and the country mouse at the same time you know giving <laughs> each other like wisdom that like we just were not built to think that way it's like oh right that's how you're supposed to act got it mm-hmm. uh and and get and also helping each other get into trouble and eventually you know being comrades and getting out of trouble too maybe <laughs> if we survive ourselves yeah, right. Yeah, I enjoy that we we somehow managed to create foils for each other's characters without talking to each other at all about this. Yeah, that's kind of it's like a blind taste test. Like a lot of session zeros are done better if you can make your characters together as a group. Um, but I I do like the idea of meeting our characters together because it also becomes a bit of a what parts of the book when we're reading it independently did we zero in on? And everyone's going to have a t- slightly different impression of Simbaroom because there is so much to focus in on that your mind is only going to focus in on a couple of things like obviously I was like ooh tell me more about the Ambrians and their political superstructure <laughs> whereas others were like 
goblins, right? So, yeah. Yeah. so tell me here, why don't we, we, we leave our characters behind. Let's talk about Simbrum. Having looked through what you've looked through and, and the mechanics of it, um, I do like that the GM never rolls the dice at ever in the game. Uh, it's, uh, it plays all the rules are player facing. So attack and defense, every single roll, there's a formula that you follow where the player is rolling in response to everything in the narrative. And the GM, there's no secret dice rolls behind a, uh, a, a GM screen. There's no fudging of that. It's them adjudicating and telling a story and narrating through it and then presenting a challenge, either socially or investigation or combat to the players at the table. And then they get to propose how they want to react to those events, um, which is interesting. It's, it's, it's a bit like Powered by the Apocalypse in that way. Like the GM never rolls the dice. And I, I, I like games like that. As a GM, that allows me to focus on the story and on the narrative and not have to get bogged down in how does grapple rules work again? Mm-hmm. I can let mm-hmm. the, I can let the player be familiar with their powers and their abilities. And they've got the rules right in front of them in terms of like what type, what the effect is, what dice that they can roll into it. And they can be responsible for that. And I can just be responsible for, um, the expedition that they're on and, 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 and presenting the challenges as they win and lose them. Um, but w- uh, Sean, uh, as you were making uh, Unkthist, um, <laughs> what did you what did you like about Sinbrum, or or did you find any anything that was frustrating or difficult as you were making your character? So I did my character creation in sort of a two step process. Uh, I I set myself a challenge with this character actually that I didn't start doing the actual crunch until an hour before we recorded. Um, but I read all of the, I dove into the rule book. I didn't touch the quick start at all. I actually just went into the rule book and started reading background and sort of let that percolate. And I love, love the setting. There's just so much you, I could just keep reading for days. Like there's, there's too much all at once. Um, but it's enough that it's like, you can pick a section and zero in on it. Yeah. If you um, had a chance to go off to the cottage, you want to take a book yeah. to read. It's phenomenal taking a book like this because and, and, and all three of the books, they just continue to just expand more and more and more of the uh, of the lore of the game. But one thing I will say, it would be too much. But what they managed to do, there's a lot of repetition and it's not unfounded repetition. There's a lot of the same points are sort of brought up in different sections of the lore. And that repetition helps you, your mind kind of get around, okay, that's the history. So you, yeah. you get like a good idea of where things go. You keep hearing over and over again about how the queen has left and arrived 20 years ago. And the queen left and arrived 20 years ago. And the army that came in and only only 11 barbarian tribes remain. And there's that mysterious 12th barbarian tribe. They do keep hitting the same beats as they tell different stories. They, they, they keep shining lights on you know, throwing back to other other things that they've mentioned so that you can remember that, you know, these are the themes that are going to keep repeating through all of these histories. And even when you read about the elves, they'll keep going. And that's about the time here where the Ambrians arrived. And and yeah. back again, we're back into the queen arriving with with her with her empire who've escaped from 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 their ruins. So I think I think they did a phenomenal job with that. And then in terms of character creation itself, I mean, I was able to create a fully fleshed out character in an hour and understand how mechanically to put it all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's so simple. It's very straightforward. And I find the a lot of the descriptions of the abilities and powers really lead you in a direction with your character. It's very easy to help you build if you were looking for inspiration to just read through them and go, oh, I want to do that. Yeah, and this isn't a game, like, 
I don't like min-maxing characters, but like I used the spread. When you're picking out your stats, you can you can do a point by, but they recommend that you use the array. So you have like one fifteen, a thirteen, two tens, an eleven, seven, five, nine, and and you uh, assign them to to the uh, to the eight stats that you have. And as I was picking my abilities, I was like, oh, okay, well, faint allows me to attack with discrete instead of strong, so I'm gonna boost my discrete number up then and let my strong be my dump stat and and tactician is cunning instead of quick when i'm rolling for defense so i want my cunning to be higher and i don't have to care about my quick and now i'm looking at my character going like wow he's not strong he's not fast he's not accurate he's just a cunning persuasive discreet jackass uh (laughs) who you know who's using who's using his abilities and his training to compensate for his like lack of physical presence right he doesn't look like his uncle who probably looks like a tank you know just like several tree trunks strapped together uh, he is um a scrawny little privileged kid who has a very smart mind that's going to put him into trouble and and that all just came out of picking up my stats and having a look at that and just finding it and it was it was fun to uh find my backstory as i was choosing my my statistics like that like i had my concept of i wanted to be an ambrian noble who was stealing magic that's kind of just where i started with and then it, and then it evolved from there and it was for me it was same deal i made my character in, in less than 60 minutes and and th- and that was with a lot of page flipping there are archetypes that are built into the game that you can just pick and you don't have to do anything you just boom and you're done um, and as well as pre-generated characters in the starter kit, which at least gets you into the game. And then if something happens, you make a new character, you know, I guess the context to, to roll it up. But it was, it was very, um, kind. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, I'm surprised at how straightforward it was. Cause I also did a lot of page flipping. Like I went to the powers and then went back to the stats and then sort of like yeah. d- went back and forth. Even in the armor section, it was like. Here's like medium armor, heavy armor, and you reach for the heavy armor. It's like most nobles get by with chainmail. Chainmail is a medium armor, and and so even as it's giving descriptions, it's also kind of subversively writing in in the descriptions some advice on like this mm-hmm. is what you need, and this will get you by, and this will work, and this is what you have if you're rich, and this is what you have if you're not rich, and uh, you know. Even in character creation, it says, like, if you have the faint ability, which allows you to attack with discrete with a short or precise weapon, you get to start with a short or precise weapon. You're not going to start a game without the weapon that your ability is assigned with because that would suck. So it, uh, it, it, it bakes in that your character will already have the equipment they need in order to be able to use their abilities, at least at the start of the game. And maybe something happens and they lose their equipment. But if you have like the ritualist ability like I do, then you have a codex, at least with that one ritual on it that you can refer to. If you have the tactician ability like I have, very likely in your backpack, you've got parchment papers or books of military strategy, right? So you've got, you know, so that's starting to like build on it. And and it wasn't, um, it keep mentioning something about creation points. And I couldn't find any other reference about creation points. I didn't know where what creation points were. But at no point throughout it that I feel like you, know, you can all agree on how many abilities you want to start with. By default, it's just two abilities that are novice and one that's adept, or four abilities that are novice. 
but if you want to start characters that are less skilled, you can change those rules at the group table, like homebrew. Or if you want to be more advanced, you'll start with more skills at the start, and you have a little bit more experience behind you. And and then as you earn experience in the game, you can upgrade abilities you currently have from adept to master or novice to adept, or you can pick up entirely new abilities. And um, uh, I, I just found that to be very, very straightforward. It was very, for, for a world where the history and the lore is so um, dense and so detailed and so thought out, it was, it was nice to see that the character creation doesn't take a back seat, but doesn't get in the way of the setting either. Felda, so, what, what did you think? I had the exact opposite. I, I'm glad you two found it so easy. I initially found it very, very overwhelming uh, mm. to be able to get into character creation. And that was partially because, uh, like many other games, uh, or unlike other games, there wasn't that quick start of, here's here are the things you need to know right now to start. I did like that, that the mechanics don't get in the way of the play, but to know, like, how do you, like, to find that chart of what the attributes are and, and how to distribute, that was in the middle of the book. To, to find how many skill abilities you start with, the middle of the book. And so I was confronted with this wall of text, which is very lush, very interesting, but it wasn't helping me to initially start. Once I so what I ended up having to do was to uh, to go to the pre-made um, sources that they, the character sheets that they had, and on them they have okay on page you know eighty eight is this section on page eighty nine is this and and so I was able to piece it together a little bit and then once I started I was able to then follow the flow of the book and I was okay. I found it so hard initially because to me, you're in right. my it, mind, it, it's page 75 before you even get to yeah. how to create a character. And then in there, yeah. it, it, it breaks it down a little bit. Like here are the archetypes for more detail. Page 82. Here are the attributes for more details. Page 100. Uh, here's the race for more details. Page 102 abilities, page 112. And it doesn't get into it in that chapter. It just gives you like the Coles notes. Yeah. And then you have yeah. to flip to the different pages to, to find out more. And then there's also the pages of, of, archetypes which have they're not pre-generated but they have pre-selected here are mm-hmm. three abilities that are typical choices for a witch hunter and and so that's how i went it was like i was getting a little bit frustrated frustrated trying to find the things understanding that's that's how it's been put together so i had to i had to change to fit that uh so i was able to do so i then went oh you know what I know that I'm going to be doing mystic stuff, so I'm going to I'm going to take the idea of one ritual and uh, an ability, and then two mystic abilities. So I'm like, okay, that at least gives me something that I can start to fill it in and connect the dots for myself to this concept that I have. I like what you said about your attributes. I went with the exact numbers that they lay out of the you know basically one of each two of the tens and and then I and then I, after I built everything else I went wait a second so I'm building this character to not stand out on purpose and so I, I'm going to drop my strength and I'm going to drop my accuracy I'm going to pump something else up as a result of that so so I have I have not gone with the averages that they have but I also felt like I'm not doing this because it gives me any skill benefit I'm doing it based on what I think if this character were in front of me right now do I feel that they would be super persuasive nope 
a little bit better than average because they still have to have something to survive. Like they have they have some way that they are still on this planet. Uh, so so that's how I looked at it from there. So there was initially uh, from a just purely from a generating something so I can get into playing with this. It, I was very frustrated. But then once I did, I'm like, oh. Tell me more about the rituals and how they work and how how you engage in the world in this way. Oh, these abilities? Tell me. Like, I got into reading the descriptions and, and thinking of the combinations. And even the shadow, even though there wasn't a lot of information about how shadow work <laughs> uh, happens, the fact that you have it, I was like... I want to know more, and and I recognize it's going to be this maybe this group discussion, and maybe like yeah, we play it's frustrating with that I, it's not it's not right there in the book. It, it, it's yeah, it's, it's presumed that there will be more conversations about shadows in supplemental material, right? Uh, and it's talked about more in the actual mystical powers that deal with examining shadows, but like assigning a shadow to your character in character creation is just uh, just pick it out and now what can happen is the gm through gameplay might you know a witch might use their witch site on you and have a look at your shadow and you've got silver written down but -hmm. then the witch goes well that's not that's what you thought your shadow was last time you checked that's not what it is anymore and the gm will tell you what your shadow now looks like and that yeah. can be a sense of doom, right? I had no pro. I, I had to process the frustration. Yeah, I was able to do that, and move on, and then once I did, like then I was able to catch up to where you were both at of the the actual character generation past the flipping. Didn't take me a long time, and uh, and I'm happy with what I was able to come up with, uh, and and I did like that there was a starter kit of the hey, yeah. this is a huge world. There's a lot to it. And this isn't even all the world. Just of the stuff that we have access to, he, there's a lot. So yeah. let's take it a portion of this and let's use the the view of we're going to go on adventures. Well, we already built out this whole thing of adventures. Oh, and you want a little bit of hierarchy? Okay, we got yeah, a little bit Simbarum of Yeah, Simbarum is a very difficult elevator pitch, whereas mm. the starter kit is a much easier pitch. Treasure yeah. hunting in a cursed forest. That's yeah. it. All right, cool. Yeah. Like, I get it now. Whereas Simbaroom, the full core game, has like a 10-minute preamble. And it's, it's, it's got a little bit more going on. Whereas if you start with treasure hunting in a cursed forest, then you can be like, okay, so we're in this place. We're doing the forest. What's, what's the deal with the forest? What's the deal with the people around it? What's the deal with the barbarians or the Ambrians? And then you can start zooming out slowly, taking these characters and introducing them to the world around them once you get to the core book. I highly recommend... If you have been listening to us talking about Symbarum and you're also not sure if you want to dive into a big, heavy, dense, lore-filled, crunchy game, get the starter kit. It's way cheaper. It's way quicker to read. And like me, if you read the starter kit first and then read the core book, you're going to know what the hell they're talking about a lot faster than you're going to be if you start with the core book. Because the core book is... Yeah, the first 70 pages are just history and background. And then you get into the character creation. The character creation is pretty fast and glosses over a lot of the heavier details that are really more for advanced players and for the GM. Like, it's just trying to get you going quickly. And I can understand the choices they made, but also if you're a very detail-oriented person, you might find that quite frustrating. Be like, no, no, I need to know more about attributes. Or I need to know more about what this shadow thing is. Or what are you talking about creation points here with mystic powers uh, it, what, do you, what do you mean i could just pick anything I, I just get three ability like it can feel a little bit like 
that's one too good to be true and two what am i missing um and and it turned out i wasn't missing anything it actually just was (laughs) simple uh but the starter kit at least it was it was parsed a little bit more it was it's 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 phrased differently it's 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 organized differently so that i guess you understand the mechanics you're introduced to them in different order and uh so by the time i made it to the core book i i, I understood the languages that they were using a little bit faster a little bit more easier so um which which is i guess that's it's a that makes it a really good starter kit doesn't it <laughs> like, yeah. that's what it's supposed <laughs> yeah. to do and the starter kit also has rules for the gm to generate um more adventures and and more stories so if you don't want to go beyond treasure hunting in the dark forest you don't have to you can just keep playing with those characters for as much as you want you're just not going to have um the rules laid out on how to create your own characters and a lot more of the uh rituals and mystic powers you're only going to have like four spells that are in the starter kit versus like the 25 that are included in the core book so it, it gets you going but then the core book lets you like go out into the ocean and, and go on a on a cruise so that I, I agree with everything you just said justin and that would be my recommendation is start in the starter kit and as overwhelming I, as it was for yeah. you velvet yeah um yeah. this is another like we're we're doing it weirdly in that we we make our characters independently. This is a, mm. a a character creation process that is kind enough and easy enough. If you did it as a group, I don't think you would you wouldn't have had the same issues because I would have been here to help um, explain certain concepts or or get you going, and we could have just it would have been more of a conversation. And a session zero in Simbaroom, I think, is really important because you know if you're playing characters that are going to toy with corruption and want to do that kind of thing, you do need to talk that with your table, right? Yeah. <laughs> it has happened that our characters roll foils of each other. But yeah. what if we didn't, right? And that 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 becomes a character like, I want to do a story that's all examining, like, and meanwhile we got another character that's just like, okay, but I'm a witch hunter. <laughs> you. Oh, yeah. and now, uh, and, and, and do we want to start a game where we're immediately, like, at each other's throats? Well, it or, becomes like the fugitive, where right? you have where the two protagonists, which is a di- are, but it, exactly, which is which could be yeah. a lot of fun, but it's definitely a different intention than the three of yeah. us in this group, right? Or or if someone who's who's a knight, and if you got a character or a player who doesn't want to get into politics or you know, you know that kind of thing, or they 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 they, they don't want to you know get into corruption right off the first episode, and they just want to focus on a mystery or a lost relic or something like that, like something more swords and sorcery, something more dungeons and dragons, like have a conversation with your table and, and making characters together can be a lot of fun. Cause then you can, you can really yes. And each other when you're making that kind of stuff, come to the table with your concept. But if we made our characters together, we could have done this very quickly. We could have done this in an hour. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, most session zeros I find are 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 better if you're able to do it with a group. But but I always like putting it to the test of making it on, uh, on our own time. I want to add in one thing. They actually, I, I agree again with what you were saying, and so does the starter kit because it, one of the sections it has there is what is your character goal. The next sec- section is what is the group goal. 
talk with your group and find out what your goals are. So I think that they do have that more community-minded building session in mind rather than one person coming up and hoping that it fits. This is a conversation that's come up a lot more in the last few months as I've been having conversations with others and other podcasters. Podcasters doing actual plays, we do meta talk all the time. We, we between sessions, between hours, between episodes, we're constantly checking in and asking, okay, what do we want to do in the next hour? How do we want to record it? How do we want it to play out? Because if we don't have that conversation, the episode's going to stink. But do that all the time <laughs> at your game group, <laughs> right? It doesn't have to be not just at a podcast. Like meta talk is an invaluable tool to have. And there's a lot, there's too many, there's a lot of groups out there that ban meta talking or, or 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 breaking the fourth wall and talking about what are we doing what do we want to do in this scene and because i don't know it's got this impression of cheating in some way but that that can be really powerful because it allows us all to know oh i want to do i want my character to get right up to the edge and become an abomination but i don't actually want Deramea to die i want to see how close i can get there and so that can give an idea of like, okay, maybe someone wants to actually find out how they can stop a character from going, you know, into a blight. And so like, talk about your goals, talk about your group goals and and talk about what also like, as a play group, what you want to do in today's game and play through together and, uh, uh, and plan it out. You don't have to predetermine everything, but have that conversation of like, you know, are you interested in doing an investigation or do you want to fight things? Maybe you don't want to fight anything today. Okay, so today we're going to just walk around town and get to meet people. That can be a lot of fun, but it can also be boring as hell if that's not what you wanted to do. So have, have those conversations and, and, and have that meta conversation. In a, in a world as, as full and rich as Simbroom, you could definitely find yourself in a position where three different players want to do three very different things. And, uh, and and talking it out and communicating with each other can help align. Okay, well, I want to go into the forest. I don't want to go into the forest. Where, where what what can we do then? Like what 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 is that the drama or is uh, or 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 is there a compromise somewhere? I'd say it's like putting the um, you know the little blurb on the back of a novel when you go to pick a book up in the bookstore. If you don't have that blurb, exactly. you don't know what you're in for. You're just yeah the synopsis blind. on the Netflix so episode. I agree on it. Yeah. Yeah. On this week. Uh, this week on Simperum. Yeah. In improv, I am I'm definitely trying to move uh, at least my part of the community toward more consent informed. And I think having those content boundary checks, which I, I kind of partially picked up from what we were doing together in, in terms of, uh, you know, the X and uh, and the other rules that we put in place. Um I think that it isn't cheating in any way to take care of the people who are at the table and to, uh, and because we're all there for fun. Like this is not uh, a PhD yeah. exercise. This is, I mean, it, some of the rule books read like that, but, but the intention is for us to have fun and be engaged and, and tell these stories and to have a, Hey, you remember when about the session, not, you know, worrying about does this follow a textbook case? So having, having those kind of conversations and finding out what the needs are if they're being met if we've gone astray if we need to rewind a little bit to get back to that spot well, exactly super and having important. lines and veils it would be like even just today like 
you know, Sean, you made a character that was a goblin and the goblin as they're written in the book, Velvet, you know, it, it, it brought up certain thoughts or themes that were just not appealing to you to make as a player character, but maybe also not appealing to examine in our game. So if we're going to have a goblin mm-hmm. in our team, we need to also have a conversation of do we want to talk about caste systems? Do we want to talk about a group that is viewed by you know the ambrians not necessarily by the barbarians but by the ambrians as like a lesser than people or do we want to just put that in a veil and say it's part of simbroom mm-hmm. but the camera's not going to focus on that at least not this week and we're going to focus on treasure hunting in a forest and you know it, 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 it's part of the character's story but it's not going to be the focus of our lens and you know that's where lines and veils can be really helpful where it doesn't have to just be about you know depictions of violence or sexual violence it can also be like i I don't want to talk about themes of caste systems this week i don't have the i don't know the spoons for it (laughs) um and that's you know that's absolutely legitimate and and it, it it might be something where um a player at the table is really into dealing with like demonic possessions and having this ritual skill that allows them to take over people's bodies and someone else at the table is gonna be like okay, well, what's the, you know, line and veil or conversation here, or the X card about what we're going to do with, with agency and consent? Because obviously a skill like possess is dealing with consent. There's no way to avoid that. So do, what do we, what do we want to do with this? Should I change my ritual if that's going to be a line for someone? In that case, I, I, I just pick a different spell and we just don't have possession in, in our story. Um, and, uh, th- that, that's, that only happens if you open up the table to to that conversation and make it welcoming. And like lines and veils doesn't have to be done where you identify who you are. Like you can write it down on pieces of paper, shuffle them up, and then present them as a master list to the table so no one knows where they came from, right? And the GM writes a bunch of them down as well. So there's more it's, it, than there are players at the table. And you shuffle it all up. Okay, here are all of our lines and here are all of our veils. Um, these are the things we're not going to do in the game. These are the things we're are going to be part of our world, but we're not going to focus on. Um, and doesn't ha- I don't we don't have to out anyone at the table for having to write down this is a thing I'm not comfortable with, uh, or this is a thing I just don't find enjoyable in my game this week. And uh, and then it's there, and and then we then we can play our game knowing we're going to have a great time because we're not going to. There's no worry about. Uh, I read this part in the book and I didn't like this particular detail of how this thing is handled. Uh, Now it's on lines and veils. It's written on our table. We're not going to go, I can go in and you don't have to have that apprehension playing to the game, waiting for someone to step on that landmine and, uh, and, 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 and ruin the fun because the X card is fun or it's, it's not fun. The X card is, is great to have and, and it helps ensure the safety at the table, but it can suck if you have to feel like you got to press that button. And you can feel like you're a buzzkill yeah. and you're ruining the good times at the table. Where there's huge right? social pressure to not, not use it. Not use yeah, it. Yeah, which is why it's really it. important if you're going to have the X card at the table as a GM, X card yourself a bunch of times early mm-hmm. on just to break the ice so that you can see how not a big deal it it should be. That it should yes. not be a big deal to use yeah. the X card. You should not feel like you're killing the fun because. Your fun has already been ruined if you're going if you're thinking about using the X card. So you need to protect yourself, and that's what that's for. But lines and veils at least provides an opportunity to avoid even getting that far. We're not going to use the X card on animal cruelty 
because we've already written it down as a line. It's not in our game. And if it happens, yeah. the GM will step in and say, that's all, that's crossing a line. We're not doing that. Rewind, do it again. And, mm-hmm. and, and we, no one at the table needs to out themselves as being the one who wrote that detail down. And, uh, and we can all hold each other accountable. So yeah, another, another, another good reminder that that can play out. And in a world like Simbroom, you can, I mean, obviously you could play it for laughs. Uh, my character, I think, is set up for some really hilariously terrible situations. <laughs> uh, but also it, 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 it can be a very serious game that deals with very serious themes. And, uh, and, and it, can get, it can get rough. And that's where the safety mechanics really shine uh, to make sure everyone's having a good time. Because there's nothing wrong with anything that was presented in this book. I think it was written with, with a lot of sensitivity it doesn't matter if someone reads that and goes like, I don't want to deal with changelings because changelings historically have a very bad reputation mm-hmm. with the autism community and the way children uh, are treated as being snatched away by elves and replaced with a child you don't recognize is a way that like before we knew what autism was is how we treated children who, as they grew up would their personalities would appear to change and they would become different people. And the, well, that's not your child anymore. It's a changeling. So like the folklore of the changeling can be very uncomfortable if you have a character at your table who's on the spectrum. And so maybe we're not going to deal with that <laughs> in our game. Today I learned. Well, well exactly. I totally get it. But but for us, you know, it, it can be a really intriguing story and 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 something to examine and 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 go into but it might not you know that's where that conversation comes into and have that part of your session zero must include that conversation or you're going to get into a game and you you might just find that a player just stops wanting to play because they just don't want to play anymore and they'll never explain why and you have no idea that you actually have caused like you broke safety and that can suck to find out years later oh yeah i left the game because i didn't like the fact that Every single time we met a female character, they got injured and they were being tortured or they were being captured uh, or, or, or terrible things were happening. And, and it just turned me off of ever playing in that game again. And then the rest of the group just kept playing for years and they just never wondered why that person ever came back. You know, because that can suck. I, there's, there's another mechanism I, I, I'm glad that we're having that conversation. And, and, and for me, this is a, that part of the conversation could be true of any of the games that we examine. I wanted to, to I know that we've been going for a bit, but I wanted to touch very quickly on another thing I saw. Oh, 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 oh overtime. Yeah. <laughs> There's another thing that I saw that I went, that's cool. I haven't seen that before uh, spelled out in that way. And that is, if for some reason your character is no longer, either they've become too corrupt or, or something else happens, the next character you bring in gets to take in all of the experience levels and, and stuff. It's a new character, but you don't have to start from zero again. And I yeah. thought, I thought that, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a way of having legacy. So theoretically, my character could be my mother's experience. That now I'm filtering through, you know, my yeah. lens of it. Uh, I like that. I like the idea that you could have these, that you can still stay attached to the world. You and, don't lose your progress in yeah. the story, even and, if you lose your character. And, and, and subtly, it allows you to take a little bit more of a risk with what you're mm-hmm. doing, not being so precious with every single little thing, not that I'm going to be. But, you know, I, I like that it's written in there of the, hey, it, it's going to happen. Don't worry about it. It's this fine. Does seem, this does seem like a game that 
if you want to play it that way, it can be very deadly. Yeah. Very quickly. Yeah. And uh, things can go wrong real fast. And like when your character loses their health, uh, they go right into a saving throw. You roll a one, you're back on your feet. You roll a 20, you are instantly dead. Mm. And and then uh, I think it's one through nine. Um, you you you're, you're you're going to stay stabilized. But if you roll an 11 to 19 three times, you're also <laughs> gone. Like right. And, and it, so so you have like up to three rolls probably for someone else to save you or mm-hmm. your character's gone. And that can be really like, uh, and, and then, and then on top of that, you're also dealing, so you got your health, but then you got your corruption and it's just like creeping number. That's just going to keep rising and just going to make everything worse for you, especially if your character's like ours <laughs> who are just, <laughs> we got to press the red button. And it's, uh, you know, that, that corruption thing is just going to, it's a, the, this sword that's always hanging over you. So, uh, it's, uh, it, this is a, it, this is a game where if you're playing a very long campaign, uh, it, it's probably unlikely you're going to play one character through the entire story. At least with your group, it's someone at the group is going to die. Uh, and that can be, that can be cool, right? Like that can, that's part of the fun of, of playing in a dark fantasy world like this is you, you want the stakes to feel heavy and have have consequence. It reminds and, uh, me a lot of um, Sunless Skies. If you've ever played any of the Fail Better games, where part of the fun is that your character can die in a horrible way very easily, and th- that story yeah. in and of itself is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts here on Symbarum. You've made your characters. I want to ask you: uh, Would you want to keep? Would you want to turn the page and go to a session one with this character? Is this a game you would want to try? Um, and uh, what, what, what are your parting thoughts on Symbarum, either on the mechanics or the settings, or is there anything that you came across that we haven't mentioned in our conversation today? I would play this game uh, with this group, literally with this trio. I would love to see what we get up to. Uh, I think that uh, if we were to do it again with a larger group, I would want to do the communal build, uh, you know, right from the get-go so that we are all on the same page and any stumbling blocks are easily uh, bypassed. I would also really enjoy reading more of the of the lore i spent most of my time in the character uh, character generation so i was picking up little snippets that i thought i might need but for the most part i was i was skimming it rather than enjoying it as as a novel sean what are your parting words I would absolutely love to play this game. Same with Velvet, uh, with this group. I think this game does need a very particular type of player, but uh, I really enjoy it. And I think there's a lot of other characters. The mark of an RPG for me that I will like playing is that I want to make more than one character in it, that I have multiple ideas. And this one has, it's just Mm. screaming at me. There's seven or eight different characters I want to make. So this is a game I would like to play very, very much. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Like, like I picked on one particular aspect. I was like, this is what I'd want to do. But also it meant ignoring all these other parts of the game as well that were, were, were just as interesting. And I realized if we were to play as a trio, if I were to end up running the game, Daramea would be just a wonderfonderfully terrible NPC to have leading your group because because your your NPCs are built exactly like the character sheets as a, as a fully fledged character and they, they, they use the exact same character sheets. So I would just use my Daramea as as the NPC who has hired you all on this 
fool's quest. <laughs> and and you're all like at the back of the group going like with all these other expedition, you know, team members going like, we're all going to die on this trip though, right? So like at what point do we cut our losses? And uh, I, th- I th- Justin, I think the conversation is more, since we're all expecting to die, if Jeremiah dies. Yeah. Is that just a term? We just can walk away with the money and we're okay. <laughs> it's all in escrow, though. So you'd need to also shape shift and look like him. To bring him back. Yeah. Hey, I can do that. Yeah. I know a guy. I know a guy. Uh, <laughs> I, I did really like this world. I would love to pick up the uh, the adventure books, um, of which I believe the fifth one is on the way out. And there's going to be six in total that uh, that Matthias writ- wrote, has written. And, uh, and, and read more about this world and play through that campaign because it does sound really cool. And I, I would love to find out more about what that what that looks like. And I, I love making these characters. I found it to be quite interesting, easy, and revealing too. You learn a little bit about the world as you're making these characters. You learn a little bit about what what's interesting to you. And and I felt very free to make a character in this game. I I liked that there was no class system in it. In that uh, there's no like fighter or or cleric or or, or ranger. There's professions. That like this is how a character would be built if you wanted to be this profession, but you're free to mix and match uh, as much as you want. And you can make a character that is very much min-maxed to a very particular set of skills or someone who is just a hodgepodge of imbalanced things that immediately clash with each other and don't complement each other at all. And that both of those characters work (laughs) and it's totally up to you. So. Yeah, I would, I would, I would definitely return to Simbroom. I would love to play uh, a, a, an actual play recording of, of this game and and see more about what what happens to these characters as we uh, as we go into the dark forest and uh, uh, see what what awaits us in, in 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 that in that maze. Yeah. Yep. So that's where we're at. We did it. Another session zero in the bag. Thank you as well to Free League. Uh, you all sent me a copy of Symbrome. I didn't ask you to. I asked for an interview with the creator, and then you asked for my address. And uh, and I got the box set sent to me in the mail, and it's beautiful. So I, I really appreciate that and for setting us up with that interview with uh, Matthias Johnson-Hawke. Go listen to that interview. It was really interesting to hear about the history of Symbrome and also the history of the game the publisher that originally made it, the story that Matthias went through to get all the way back to then uh, opening up his publishing company, merging with Free League Games, bringing this all into one. It deserves to be a documentary one day. It's really fun. So go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already and uh, let me know what you thought because I'd love to do more of those Meet the Maker chats. That's a lot of a that's a lot of a mouthful there. Thank you, Velvet and Sean, for joining me. Uh, do you have anything you would like to plug that you're doing? You would like to send people off to? I know Velvet, you've always got something going on. I do always have something going on. I've, I've been leading a lot of uh, workshops these days, but I still have my virtual shows. If you go to my website, uh, thevelvetduke.com, you can find out for either stream that you want to join in on. Yeah, and go check out Velvet stuff. There's a link in the show notes as well where you can follow up with that. And uh, Sean, I know. I, mean, I don't know if there's anything you can plug. I know you've just been doing some like VO work. Mostly just VO work, so I, I just say go visit Velvet's site. Yeah, go visit Velvet's site and go listen to all the Sean stuff that he did with us back on the Spire. His, his Vermissian Sage was a lot of fun, so go back and enjoy that if you haven't already. Uh, we'll be back next week with something I don't know what. 
If you've got a game that you'd suggest for us to do a session zero examination, hey, let me know. I'd love to check it out. All right, now I'm just going through my bookshelf. And then I hope in April I'm going to be letting you know that we are recording a game uh, that we're actually going to play. So that's, that's all I'm going to say right now. More to come. Uh, <laughs> until then, thank you for sitting through this episode with us. Thank you for exploring the dark, mysterious world of Simbaroom and for getting to meet Drunden, Farsig, and Daramea. And uh, until we meet again and we're all rolling dice around the table once again and telling our stories and exploring these worlds, thank you for listening to the Terrible Warriors. Be good to each other. Bye. 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 Bye.